This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions, recorded live in the city of Melbourne. Today's big question, why is it worth engaging with the Easter story? Well, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to ask a number of guests some big questions about the events and circumstances of the Easter story, the week that changed the world. Now, my first guest today is the Reverend Dr. Peter Adam, Vicar Emeritus of St. Jude's Anglican Church in Carlton. We'll be asking Peter some big questions about a parable that Jesus told in chapter 20 of the Gospel of Luke. Now, in this parable, Jesus predicts the events of the Easter week by speaking about tenants who reject the Son and kill him. But before we do that, I'd like to invite award-winning poet and performer Cam Sammons to kick us off with some poetic insight. So please welcome Cam Sammons. I know uh, Robert wanted to particularly work on the parable here, but I kept coming back to, not the parable, because that's actually a really nice, tight little story, but just what Jesus says just before that. He basically, they come up, ask him a question, but he says, no, I've got a question for you. So I call this piece, Jesus is the question. And Jesus said, I want to ask you a question. What's your name? Why are you terrified? Who touched my clothes? Where have they laid him? How many loaves do you have? And Jesus said, I want to ask you a question. Do you have eyes and not see? Can the blind lead the blind? Who do people say I am? But what about you? Who do you say I am? And Jesus said, I want to ask you a question. Is not life more than food? Is not the body more than clothes? Did not the maker of the outside also make the inside? Why does this generation seek a sign? Why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? And Jesus said, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Jesus said, I want to ask you a question. Tell me, don't you understand this parable? No? Then how will you understand any parable? If I tell you about earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe what I tell you about heavenly things? Please give Cam a round of applause. I'd like to invite our guest today, introduce our guest today, the Reverend Dr. Peter Adam. Peter is Vicar Emeritus of St. Jude's Anglican Church in Carlton, and please welcome Peter Adam. Well, Peter, we're delighted that you can join us today. It's great to be here. Thanks, Rob. Now, we're engaging the week that changed the world, and we're looking at a parable that Jesus told. Um, Now, we'll chat about that in just a second. I might just invite Cam to come back up, um, because parables are are a form of rhetorical device. Yeah. We thought we might get some input from our (laughs) rhetorician, (laughs) our resident rhetorician, Cam. Yeah. Now, Peter, parables are different to parabolas. Aren't they? I believe so. So, what tell us what what exactly are parables? Subversive stories to make people think. Parables are like questions, aren't they? Yeah. It was a, it was a great poem. Thank, thank you, mm. because it showed that Jesus wanted people to think. Yeah. Yeah. 
And if they thought they were cornering him, in a way he was cornering them and saying, yeah. well, what are you going to do about all yeah. this? Yeah. So parables and questions, Jesus' parables and Jesus' questions yeah. do the same thing, I think. Yeah. But so, yeah. It, it was a clever way to communicate, it wasn't, because they, their question is by what authority. Mm. He says, I won't tell you. Mm. And then he does by means of the parable, mm. in fact. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So it's a subversive story. So subversive is story. poetry therefore yeah. is poetry a form of parable then, Peter? Ooh. Should we mix our metaphors? <laughs> <laughs> I know. The similarity is the stimulation to think through and mm. reflect, isn't it? Mm. To stop and think about it. Yeah. But is it more than just to think though? Because poets can make you think. Is there a, is a call to action as well? I think there is in poetry, isn't there? Mm. Uh, that is, there's some kind of response. Uh, poems, anyway, to me, mm. make me not just think, but, uh, but respond in some way. Mm. Is that what you try to do in your poems, Kate? Uh, I, I think yes. Sometimes I think maybe a poem is more like just trying to capture even a feeling. Uh, so it's not necessarily trying to doesn't have such a strong message orientation or something. Um, so does this say so more about your poems, Ken? They're a bit more airy-fairy, oh, is, is that what you're saying? Well, <laughs> if anything, I'm quite message-oriented, um, right. whereas there's one end of poetry that's not message-oriented. It's about even, you know, some would say the musicality of language and meaning gets in the way. So I know some poets actually speak like that. So, so therefore, that's quite opposite to what a parable is. So there can be, I would say, poems that are parable-like and then poems that are in some ways very anti-that in right, their concepts. Okay. So. But, but uh, mm. it's true with music and poetry, I think, that mm. to be presented with an emotion which you don't feel at the moment yourself mm. is a challenge to grow, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, OK. To embrace that as part yeah. of humanity. Yeah, that's right. So in a much bigger sense, that's right. Mm. Oh, I like that. So, Peter, then, do you think that's one of the reasons that Jesus spoke in parables? Yes, it's, it's, um, we often think of Jesus as doing rote learning, but it, it was very subversive rote learning, which mm -hmm. you, you couldn't just think, here's the answer, that's easy. You meant, meant, you meant to think and think, oh, this is serious. I'll have to think about this. And that delayed response, I think, is because the response to be a follower of Jesus is more than, oh, that's a nice idea. It's, I'll have to change who I am to embrace this. Mm. Well, maybe we should think more about this particular yeah. Well, Thank you very much for your, yeah. your comments there, Kevin. Thanks oh, very much thanks. for your that's poem right. again. Yeah, you can yeah. sit down and just think about some more airy-fairy poems or something. Oh. There's something that's not going to force us to think too much. So, let's, so let's talk a bit more about this parable. The, the context in which Jesus speaks here is revolves around questions of authority. Jesus, uh, previous to the story, has just cleared the temple and the leaders come to him asking, they're in verse 2 or sentence 2, tell us by what authority you are doing these things. So why was the question of Jesus' authority important? Sure. Well, I guess if you've uh, just sorted the place out, uh, the question of authority uh, is an obvious one. That is, who has the right to clean out God's temple in Jerusalem is the mm. obvious question. But I think it's very interesting that actually his purpose in being there is teaching the people and preaching the gospel. That is, his purpose is educating the ordinary people. Mm -hmm. He's interrupted by the chief priests and elders, isn't he? Yes. Uh, and they, they bring a question, by what authority? And they're saying, how dare you be here, really? So what, what were these religious leaders not willing to accept? They were not willing to accept Jesus, God's son. So they were, they were illusioned people. They lived in illusion, thinking they were close to God when they weren't, which is a great tragedy. Mm. But one to which religious people are prone, I might say, is one of them. Yeah. Well, I suppose that this raises the point that religion is not always a force for good in the world. No, that's right. And that's obvious all around the world today. And it's a sad thing. But, of course, evil is always the corruption of something which is good. And nothing is so good it can't be corrupted by human beings. 
Uh, marriage is a good gift, but it can be hell. Producing children is a great gift of God, but people can mess it up really badly. Government is a good gift of God, but people can do that very badly as well, and so on. And I suppose playing sport as well as a good gift sometimes. It is, it is, yeah. But, uh, Occasionally you lose your vertebrae. <laughs> that's yeah. right. You have accidents or you're just yeah, not very good sometimes. That's right, yeah. yeah. Or, you, or the point is smashing down other people because sport is based on opposition and defeating people. So that brings out a bad side in human life, I think. Yes, yes. Yeah. Is this what was motivating the Pharisees? Yes, that's right. They, they were in power. They held the kind of key teaching positions in the land and the Sadducees had lots of control in the temple. Um, the Sadducees had a good arrangement with the Roman government, so they didn't want to lose any power. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it's, it's horrid being shown that you're wrong. <laughs> None of us likes that. And the, the ultimate question of authority is, is God the authority or am I? Religious people occasionally have the practice of subverting God's authority by taking it over and pretending it's theirs mm. when it's not. Well, doesn't that provide a problem then? For how do we then for know what is truth? Or how do we know what we're right? Yes, exactly right. Uh, and that's a great issue for our society, I think, because the, the focus in our society is on creating your own reality. You know, the world is what you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas uh, you don't have to live very long before you discover the world isn't what you want it to be, it's something else. And learning what the something else is, the bumpy edge of hard reality, true reality, is a great human lesson, I think. Mm. So then how do you deal with that in terms of recognising that maybe I'm not in control? Yes, it's a basic aspect of humility, isn't it? Saying, well, actually, the world is bigger than me. (laughs) I'm not the world. I'm not the creator. Someone else is the creator. Someone else orders reality. And I must be submissive and humble and patient in learning what God thinks about reality, how he perceives it. Hmm. Someone's asked, if Jesus was to have arrived in our day and performed miracles, would he be accepted? Well, uh, he would at at the first instance, I think, because... Our scientific world uh, discounts miracles. So if someone actually comes and does them, it's a great shock. Mm -hmm. So people who don't believe in miracles are then suckers for the supernatural. Something supernatural happens and they are all agog and think this must be really important. So in a way, our uh, our view of society that miracles don't happen, if that is what people think, means us more, leads us more vulnerable to Jesus' miracles. But the point is that Jesus doesn't just do miracles. He teaches people and questions people, as we've seen, and challenges them to change the way they think. Anyone can like a miracle worker as long as you like the miracles. Mm. How lovely to have a miracle of feeding. Not to have a miracle of healing. We'd, we'd applaud those. But well, the I moment Jesus... if there's a free lunch on offer. Exactly uh, we right. Could, we yes. could all enjoy a... A healing <laughs> and a free lunch. <laughs> that's right, really yeah, good. that's right. I can pick that's my right. back and I, can right. have a, and I can have yeah. a prawns for lunch. How does that sound? Yeah. But what right. we wouldn't like would be Jesus' teaching, I think. That why, wouldn't be why, so welcome. Why, why is that? Because Jesus' teaching challenges everyone to change the way they live and to trust in him and believe in him and accept him mm. as, the, as the unique son of God and saviour. And whether you're you know, wealthy or poor or happy or sad, uh, whatever your political view, uh, Jesus would, I think, be a great challenge. Mm. Jesus indeed is a great challenge. So what does this parable, which speaks about the religious leaders who wanted the beloved son dead, teach us? Well, it teaches us to think carefully about authority and who has it and whether we are 
subverting God's authority, that is, taking authority which doesn't belong to us. And it teaches us, I think, that uh, we have to take account of God's Son and his death because that's a key to the meaning of the parable and thus a key to the meaning of human lives as well. Mm. Today's big question is, why is it worth engaging with the Easter story? And my next guest is Reverend James Hornby. James is lead minister of St John's Anglican Church in Launceston and was previously pastor of St Jude's Anglican Church in Parkville in Melbourne. And he joins me now. Please welcome James Hornby. Now, James, we're thinking about Easter and the start of the Easter story, which is commonly known as Palm Sunday, Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, which is found in Luke chapter 19. But before we talk about that, we're interested to know why Easter is important to you. Uh, It's really important to me because of the central message of Easter, that Jesus Christ, this man who claimed to be the Son of God, who I believe uh, is the Son of God, uh, died. And, And didn't just die, but accomplished something in his death, and was resurrected. And because of that, I can be reconciled to God, that I can, I can have a relationship with God. Uh, that, that's why I think it's really important uh, to me. We are going to spend the next few weeks looking at mm. various aspects of the Easter story, the week that changed the world. And today we begin what's known as the, the Passion Narrative, uh, the final week of Jesus' life. Now, the Gospel of Luke's been narrating Jesus' journey towards Jerusalem for about 10 chapters or so, since chapter 9, verse 51. Now, in the passage that you're looking at today, he approaches Jerusalem. So, James, why is Jerusalem so important? Sure. It's interesting to note, too, that when Jesus gets to Jerusalem, he's at the top of the hill, he's about to descend in, there's no flag waving that says, the week that changed the world. You know, when you start off in a run, you, you, if you've ever done a fun run, you'll get, you get to run through the little entry, and then there's the finish line. Uh, there's nothing that really signifies, in one sense, that this is the beginning of something that will transform human history. Mm. But for Jesus, Jerusalem is really important. Firstly, it's, it's the one time of the year where, where Jews gather for the Passover. And the Passover is sort of the central Jewish festival. It's where they celebrate uh, their, their national identity that's formed because they were rescued from slavery. So this is a really key moment in your Jewish calendar. So you make your pilgrimage to Jerusalem. That's where you celebrate uh, Passover. And it's, it's interesting though too that, I mean, when you think of Jerusalem, uh, you, you think it's a city, right? I, I don't know about you, but I think of a city that, like Melbourne, might be, you know, three, four million people, crowds. Jerusalem in Jesus' day, on the average week, is about ten to 15,000 people. Okay, so it's actually a really small city by, by modern standards. For these two weeks of the year, Jerusalem is, is no longer ten to 15,000 people. It's around about 125,000 people. So even as Jesus is entering Jerusalem, like, there's tra- traffic jams like you wouldn't believe. Uh, but Jerusalem's well, also... Horse jams or something. Horse or, jams, or, <laughs> possibly donkey jams. Donkey jams. Um, <laughs> I'm you not know, quite sure what a donkey jam would be like. Yeah. I, I'm not sure about that either. <laughs> but Jerusalem's also really important because the Old Testament and, and the scriptures that the Jews had prophesied or spoke that the Messiah would come to Jerusalem. So all of every Jew has this great hope that one day the Messiah, and Messiah means anointed one, one day the anointed one will come to the Mount of Olives, will come to Jerusalem, this holy city. So if you take a step back, it's actually really important that Jesus is coming to Jerusalem because he's about to declare himself as the anointed one. It's one of those things, there's no flag at this stage, we're sort of saying, this is really important, you really need to listen to this. It's just yeah. kind of, it's just sort of It's happening. just another day in the life of the average Jew, but 
behind the scenes, if you will, something extraordinarily significant is just taking place or about yeah. to take place. But yeah, the donkey is very important yeah. uh, because. So what, why is the donkey important? Tell us. Okay, because because the, because of the prophecies in the Old Testament that mm-hmm. predict the Messiah will come in a donkey. Jesus coming in a donkey declares himself to be the Messiah. This is another of those moments where Jesus' actions speak louder, if you will, than his words. So Jesus comes in on this donkey. You can tell a lot about the person by the way they enter the city. Mm. As we mentioned, you know, Jerusalem's busy, mm-hmm. lots of people, donkey jams. Donkey jams, yeah. If Jesus was, if this was in the modern day setting, if uh-huh. Jesus was coming into the city in a car, uh-huh. oh. what, sort of, what sort of car would he be driving? Well, I mean, straight off the top of my head, surely he'd be driving a Mitsubishi Colt. Uh, but, I mean, if you've ever travelled down the dusty, dirty roads of Palestine, I'd be going with a second-hand Land Rover. And or a Hilux. Or a Hilux, clear the road. Unbreakable. You know, unbreakable, get yeah. it in. But, you know, I mean, I'll still go with my first answer. Mitsubishi Colt. Well, I mean, well, there's significance there with the cold, isn't there? Because yeah. this is a, an interesting juxtaposition of images. Like, mm-hmm. here we are, this, this supposed king, this guy who's coming in, fulfilling the prophecies from the Old Testament, claiming to be this great king, and he's driving a Ferrari, a Bentley. No, it's a Mitsubishi Colt. Bentley. Like, I, don't know, I don't know many sports stars or movie stars when they're looking at, you know, they've made it to the top. They're looking at getting a new car. They don't tend to go for the cult. Maybe it's, maybe it's just underrated. I'm not sure. So what's the significance of Jesus taking this sort of humble animal as his entry to the, to the city? Yeah, sure. When I think about the fact that you can tell a lot about a person when they, when they enter a city, I, I think of um, Kaiser Wilhelm II, who was a German emperor, 1898, enters Jerusalem, enters Jerusalem on a mighty white horse. And he's got... Uh, he's, He's got a retinue that's so large, they actually have to deconstruct part of the wall to fit everybody through. So they tear down the wall so we can get in. And I think, I think that's a classic image of what you'd expect mm. of a king entering a city, king entering Jerusalem, is a, a mighty war steed. Uh, Jesus picks a donkey. And I think there's two reasons for that. The first reason, which is what a donkey represents in terms of humility. Okay, it's a, it's a beast of burden uh, the donkey has a lot of association with humility uh, it's the complete opposite if you will as you said it's a juxtaposition with the mighty war horse and I think that says something about Jesus and who he is but what a lot of people also miss out on is the fact that uh, the donkey uh, also had uh, royal connotations so it, it, again you go back to the Old Testament and and the donkey was was an animal used or prophesied about in terms of royalty so there's an association. You could ride a donkey and still be king. He's not saying I'm not a king because I'm not on a white steed. I'm on a donkey. Actually, according to, to the scriptures, that's entirely appropriate for me to be on a donkey because it's a royal animal. However, it also says something about the kind of person that Jesus is in terms of his humility and what he came to do. Mm. Yeah, he's a different type of king. Absolutely. Now, the Pharisees were like some of the religious leaders of the time. Mm-hmm. What made them so upset? Well, what made them so upset was the fact that there's a group of people saying, you're the king. And the Pharisees, they actually control much of society, culture. Uh, if you're a Jew, your life is governed by the law. So your duty is to fulfill all 631 laws uh, that are prescribed to you in the Old Testament. And the Pharisees were, were those at the top of the tree who, who not only fulfilled those laws, but also governed to make sure you were fulfilling those laws. So there's a lot of power, a lot of esteem, uh, a lot of privilege that comes with being a Pharisee. So there's a, a human element in which, you know, this guy is a usurper. This guy represents something 
that could pull out from under them what they've spent their whole lives working towards, this mm. power, this prestige, uh, this importance. But they're also guardians of truth. And so from their perspective, here's another potential heretic. Here's someone who's proclaiming or to be something or others are you know, lifting him up and saying, here's the king. And, and they're just like, well, this is not on. This, this, we've got some heresy here going in. We need to come in and shut it down. Yeah, so we need to quieten him down. Yeah. And so that when they're saying... They were fairly effective with that in the end, weren't they? <laughs> well, but why didn't they recognise who he was, though? That's a good question. Well, why don't we recognise anything at times? It's If you have a... I do have young daughters, so I've discovered these books. The best kind of book for a child is a book that has, like, thousands of things in it. And you can say, find find the mouse and you know it's going to take 10 minutes for them to find the mouse and so you've got some peace and quiet right? <laughs> you can have a little doze exactly if you tell someone you give someone a picture and you say find the mouse and they've never seen a mouse before how do you think they're going to go i mean here he, he, it's okay for us to go here's the messiah but if you say i mean these people have been looking for a messiah for hundreds and hundreds of years so for suddenly for, for the anointed one, for the Messiah to appear, I mean, they'd, they'd cut down other heretics. Mm. And probably in their minds, and probably rightly so. They yeah, were, they were, absolutely. They were frauds. Absolutely. So suddenly, here's the guy that turns up who's the real deal, but you don't, they don't know what they're looking for because they've never seen it before. And I think in that sense, it's, it's partly really easy to overlook, especially if you throw in, um, I mean, the particular nature of what it was to be a Pharisee uh, and what they're expecting. And we talked about it before. You're, you're expecting a particular king. I mean, these guys are expecting someone who's going to cause a social revolution, mm. overturn Roman rule. I mean, they, they, you know, Israel exists. It, it, it's, a, it's a state, if you will, but it's subject to, to Roman dominion. I mean, they're looking for someone who's a political leader who's mm. going to turn things upside down. So to have someone come in who's the complete opposite of that... You know, it, it's in one sense, it's amazing that anyone picked it up at all. Mm. Mm. I mean, well, even his own disciples didn't pick it up for a very long time. I mean, before he enters into Jerusalem, he spells it out. These are the guys that have been with Jesus for three years. They've wandered the dusty streets of Palestine. They've seen him perform miracles. And then he says, we're going to Jerusalem because the Son of Man needs to die. Mm. And they don't get it. Even within the Pharisees, there were people who heard. Nicodemus is a classic example of someone whose ears were open. Mm. There, were, there were many who came from, I mean, a lot of people who followed Jesus came from poor socioeconomic backgrounds, but there were many who came from those same backgrounds that didn't mm. hear. Yeah. The passage also suggests that these people, these Pharisees and so on, have sort of missed out. They've missed out on something big. I'm just wondering, have you ever missed out on anything big? Nothing huge, because I did end up marrying the girl, so I didn't <laughs> end up missing out. But, I mean, but when she I think... She nearly missed out on you, though. Was that... Uh, <laughs> Thanks, Rob. Uh, you can invite me back. But, uh, yeah, so I think, I think thinking through that, something I missed out on, I don't know. It's, it's funny when birthdays come around. I, I'm much better than I was. But when you're 17, 18, you, know, you have sort of a, a mercenary attitude to birthdays, right? You get a whole stack of cards, rip the card open, quick look, is there a 20, 50, 100? No, throw it. Next one, quick, quick look. <laughs> and in no way is this more profound than I think at your 18th. Maybe hopefully you've matured by 21. And I remember at my 18th, I had, you know, hundreds of cards. And it's a lot, it takes a long time to read every card. So I was just rip the envelope open, open it, no, chuck, rip, chip, 20. That one's friend level three, 100. <laughs> like this person a lot. You go through it. And I remember 
chucking one out, had a quick look, chucked it out. And then my nana, who, you know, nanas only ever give you, like in my case, literally hankies uh, and, and eventually uh, tats lotto tickets. Um, but there was, there, was a, there was a substantial amount of money uh, in that card and I just went, whoop, chuck. And then my nana went, oh, you know, did you appreciate your gift? I'm like, yeah, 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 not quite. You don't say no to your nana, yes. And she's like, oh, well, you know, it was a fair amount of money, but and I was like, a fair amount of money? So I'm going through the rubbish, trying to find the card to go, you know, I didn't miss out in the end, but I could have. Right, and so, okay. But I wonder even if that analogy... So you're talking about, you know, people who missed out in terms of seeing Jesus, right? And I think that's, I think that's really important, but it's interesting, isn't it, Jesus' reaction to that? I mean, he's... Well, that's right, so he's weeping. Yeah. And he sort of says, if you only you'd known mm. at the time of God's coming amongst you, yeah. then things might have been a bit different. It's as though these people have kind of... I'm here, it's, I've made it as clear as I can... Mm-hmm. But you've missed out. Yeah, well, and that's, that's the interesting thing because those who missed out didn't recognise that they'd missed out. It wasn't like they went through the... They heard out, oh, I've missed out and that 100 bucks went through the trash and retrieved it. Mm. They'd, you didn't understand that you were missing out. And I think a better analogy is to look at Jesus who weeps. And uh, I have a, um, a two-year-old who uh, loves play school. And uh, recently uh, we got tickets to take her to a play school concert. And, and this has happened from time to time. You know, you're t- terrible twos, misbehaving. As parents, you're, try, you're trying to discipline. And, and part of us were thinking, well, do we not go to play school? Now, she didn't know she was going to play school. So, you know, it wouldn't have affected her in her thinking that she was missing out on something. Mm. But as, as parents, that, that we'd grieve that because, you know, this is something we're really looking forward to. It's something we know she'd love. And now we're thinking about taking it away. And especially, you know, it cost us 50 bucks. I mean, you know, that hurt. Mm. I'd, I'd cry. That's, 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 I'd cry over that. That's I mean, almost, a, almost a nana's <laughs> birthday present. Cool. Yeah. So, you know, so, so Jesus is weeping because he knows in such a profound way what they're missing out on. Mm. Mm. And, and, and that, I mean, Jesus is a man of deep compassion and love. But, but more, than, more than that, he, he, of all people, truly understands what they're missing out on, even though they are ignorant and and don't understand. So why is it worthwhile, do you think, engaging with the Easter story? Well, because if it is the week that changed the world, you'd want to to be on it. You want to know about it. I think for for Christians, the the week leading up to Easter is the central week and holds the central truths of what we believe. So if we are... If we took that week out as Christians, we'd really have nothing. Uh, and yet Christians believe uh, that this week and, and the man that features in this week, Jesus, his actions, his, his words, the person who he, who he is and who he was uh, really does uh, change us and can indeed change the world, has changed the world, mm-hmm. uh, but continues to change. Let me leave you with the Bible's answer to the big question about why it's worth engaging with Easter from Luke 19:41. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but it is hidden from your eyes. And in verse 44, Because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Please thank James Hornby. Hi everyone, Rob Martin here, host of Bigger Questions. Thanks for listening to another episode of Bigger Questions. We hope you enjoyed the show. 
Now, as you're probably aware, Easter is approaching, and that's why we're sharing some special Bigger Questions episodes exploring the events and circumstances of that first Easter week. Now, to accompany these Easter episodes, we've produced a special reading guide entitled The Week That Changed the World. Now, this little reading guide is designed to walk you through the last week of Jesus' life. It contains the events leading up to and including the Easter story from Luke's biography of Jesus' life, as well as reflections from workers around Australia. And it even has pictures. So why not engage the Easter story firsthand? Grab a copy of this guide or find someone to discuss with and be better informed about the week that changed the world. You can get a copy by sending a message on our website, biggerquestions.org, or to our Facebook page, or send me an email at robert.martin at citybibleforum.org. Now, if you're in the city of Melbourne, you can pop into the City Bible Forum offices at level 226 King Street, and you can pick up a hard copy. We'd love to help you ask some bigger questions about the Easter story. Now, also, if you want to support Bigger Thinking, then please support the show on Patreon. You can support for as little as US $1 a podcast at patreon.com slash bigger questions. So thanks for listening. And remember to keep asking the bigger questions.